you are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, July 7th, 2021, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we have got a good one for you. We're going to start by recapping an Orioles win. They take game one of the series with the Toronto Blue Jays by a score of 7-5 to five on Tuesday night, and we'll get you the five things you need to know from an Orioles victory. And then we've got a great guest on the show today. Former Orioles right-handed pitcher Steve Johnson is going to join the program today. He's going to tell us all about uh, the sticky stuff enforcement in MLB and what he kind of views it as as a former Major League Baseball pitcher, what he thinks the league should do, what he thinks the players should do. He had a lot of thoughts on social media when it all started being cracked down a couple of weeks ago and uh, finally able to have him on uh, to talk about all that stuff. Really interesting conversation from a really a Major League pitcher side of things. And then, of course, we will get into his career with the Orioles, specifically uh, his rookie year in that 2012 season when he was a big part of the Orioles, especially in August and September, helping them get to the postseason for the first time in 15 years. Uh, We talk about his major league debut. We talk about what the vibe was like on that 2012 team. And we talk about him, remember, getting up in the first inning to warm in the bullpen in the AL wildcard game after Joe Saunders had walked the leadoff batter and uh, what was going through Johnson's head knowing that the wildcard game could have been his in his rookie year. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the app and join me every week to talk Orioles and get in on the action at Spotify Greenroom. So we'll get to our conversation with Steve Johnson in a bit, but first, the Orioles won a game last night. They open up after an off day Monday with a three-game series at home against the Toronto Blue Jays, and the Orioles took it to the Blue Jays. Now, in the end, it looked like a close game. Final score, Orioles win it 7-5 to over Toronto in Game 1. But it was all Orioles pretty much all day in this one as the O's get the win to get to 28-57 and now on the season. We want to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles victory. And the first thing you need to know, standing ovation for Spencer Watkins in his first career Major League start. We know Watkins, you know, great story how he you know almost retired this offseason went to be a high school baseball coach but the Orioles gave him a minor league deal you know he worked his way through Norfolk was pitching really well in AAA and the Orioles gave him a shot over the weekend to the big leagues he pitches an inning and a third scoreless out of the bullpen in Anaheim and earns his first start here on a Tuesday night and he really was all the Orioles could have asked for five innings one run three hits two K's three walks 89 pitches for Spencer Watkins through those five innings kept the Orioles in the game, kept the Blue Jays batters at bay. And again, you know, two strikeouts to three walks. It's not like he was super dominant. Um, But, you know, he had solid stuff. The curveball actually looked really good. He threw about 47% fastballs, four seamers, 35% cutters. He's really a fastball cutter guy. And then he tossed in 15 curveballs. And uh, StatCast says he threw one changeup. That could have just been a miscalculation. Um, but it was really four-seamer cutter curveball for Watkins. And, you know, he threw the curveball 15 times, but it was pretty good. He got two whiffs. He got three called strikes on that pitch. That was his best pitch of the night. Uh, but he was able to get soft contact um, on the day, which, you know, was really, really good. That cutter exit velocity when guys made contact averaged just about 86 mile per hour off the bat. That's usually going to get you an out. So, you know, if he's not going to be a strikeout guy, which he didn't look like last night, 
he's going to be, you know, a soft contact guy. The Orioles will take that. And listen, Brandon Hyde was so happy after the game. I think everyone was so happy after the game. Guy's 28 years old, getting his first major league start against a obviously really, really good Toronto Blue Jays offense. And he just silenced their bats and gave the Orioles five innings, which not a lot of their starters have done this year. So just well, well done, Spencer Watkins. And Brandon Hyde said he's going to get another turn in the rotation. And trust me, he deserves it. Second thing you need to know is that after Spencer Watkins came out of the game, you know, although the Orioles held on for the win, the O's bullpen was a little bit shaky. Of course, they had, you know, a a 7-1 lead after six innings. Dylan Tate came in. He threw a scoreless sixth. Uh, But then things started to get a little shaky in the final three innings. Tate came back out there in the seventh, gave up a home run to Randall Gritchick. It was a 7-2 game. Tanner Scott pitched the eighth inning, gave up a solo homer to Vladdy Jr. Uh, Just the second homer Scott has allowed this year, made it 7-3. And uh, then we went to the ninth. And although it was not a save situation because it was a four-run game at 7-3 to entering the ninth, it was interesting to see Brandon Hyde turn it over to Tyler Wells in the ninth inning. You know, we've seen Cesar Valdez, Paul Fry, you know, Cole Salser all get save opportunities this year. And Wells has one as well, but, you know, it wasn't a save opportunity. He didn't get a save, but it was interesting to see Wells get that chance. However, wasn't his best work. He gave up two hits. He uh, did strike out one batter, and uh, after a one-out single, gave up a two-run homer to Lourdes Gurriel Jr. All of a sudden, it was a 7-5 game with one out in the ninth, uh, but he bared down, and uh, he struck out Reese McGuire, got Marcus Semien to fly out. And Although it wasn't a save situation, although he did give up two runs, he secured the win for the Orioles, but definitely a little bit of a shaky bullpen down the stretch there for the O's. Third thing you need to know is just Cedric Mullins. That's about it. Cedric Mullins, that's, uh, that sums it up pretty well. You know, he only uh, he only had one hit. He was one for four, but it was a two-run homer uh, for the Orioles in the fifth inning that extended their lead to four to one, part of their five-run fifth. He also drew a walk in the game, 938 OPS. That was his 16th home run of the year, a two-run shot. Just amazing to watch, and he better be an all-star starter. Fourth thing you need to know is that, you know, the long ball, was uh, was around in this game a little bit for the Orioles. How about Anthony Santander hitting an absolute missile of a two-run homer in that same fifth inning that gave the Orioles the 7-1 to lead? Hit that ball out onto Utah Street. Was the 50th Oriole to hit a home run onto Utah Street last night. We know he's been struggling with injury and with the bat, but that two-run homer was blasted. That was a good sign for him. And then Pedro Severino, who... The power has just left him this year. It's been a big reason why, you know, he's been much, much worse just all around for the Orioles in 2021. Hit a big home run. It was his fourth of the year last night. Came with two strikes and two outs and a runner on against Steven Matz in the fourth. Two-run shot into left field. Gave the Orioles the 2-1 to lead in the bottom of the fourth inning. That was big for him, and the Orioles really, really relied on the home run ball in the win on Tuesday night. And the final thing you need to know from the win, Ramon Arias continues to get it done. We talked about it on Monday's episode, how he had a big weekend in Anaheim, and he's been, frankly, great uh, since returning uh, last weekend in Buffalo to the Orioles roster. He did it again, a couple of singles in a two-for-four. He's now up to a 291 average and an 825 OPS on the season. And again, we'll continue to say this until he really becomes the everyday guy, which it looks like he's becoming at shortstop with Freddie Galvez out. But it's still a small sample size. It's still you know only 97 plate appearances. He hasn't even reached 100 plate appearances on the season. But if you're getting this kind of stuff in you know your first about 100 plate appearances, that's pretty good. I'm liking what I'm seeing out of Ramona Rios and... 
he's helping the Orioles play better baseball. You know, he's playing solid defensively at short, and, you know, he's hitting sixth in the lineup on Tuesday night and giving the Orioles a spark from down there. And he really led a charge for the bottom of the lineup. You know, six through nine hit great in last night's game. Arias two for four, Severino one for three with the homer, Valeka two for four, Labo one for four. Every Oriole that started had a hit in this game. The Orioles had seven runs on 11 hits, and everybody had at least one hit in the lineup. That's always a good night. So the Orioles win it 7-5. to five. They take game one of the three-game series with the Toronto Blue Jays. And uh, it was nice to see a win from the Orioles in this one. But next up, we're going to talk to a former Oriole who knows a lot about winning Orioles teams. And that is Steve Johnson, who is, of course, a big part, big part of that 2012 Orioles team that turned things around for this franchise. He was nice enough to join us to talk about his time with the 2012 Orioles and making his major league debut and being on the playoff roster that year. And uh, we're also going to talk about sticky stuff in major league baseball. You know, coming from a former major league baseball pitcher, what it's like to use stuff like sunscreen and rosin, what he saw when he was in major league clubhouses, what guys were using. Uh, There's definitely a really interesting substance he's going to talk about that guys found out how to use. And he also talks about what he thinks about the crackdown from Major League Baseball. And then we'll talk as well about his career after baseball and what he's been doing since he retired in 2018. But that is all coming up next with former Orioles pitcher Steve Johnson. We talk to him after the break. So we'll get to our chat with former Orioles pitcher Steve Johnson in just a second. But first, this episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Spotify Greenroom is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. I'll be hosting rooms for Locked on Orioles every week, and yes, you can finally join in on the conversation you listen to here every day. Green Room, it's the perfect place to start or join conversations about the league. You'll find fans just like you for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to big news or rumors. And again, you can talk with me every single week. So go download the free Spotify Green Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the MLB group for the latest league updates. And follow me at Connor Newcomb to be notified when my room goes live. I know you won't want to miss it as I'm planning to be live every single week. Can't wait to hear everyone's thoughts on the Orioles and see you there at Spotify Green Room, changing the way we talk sports. All right, so we are pleased to be joined on the pod today by a former Orioles right-handed pitcher. Steve Johnson is on the pod with us today. And first of all, Steve, thank you so much uh, for taking some time to come on, uh, talk some sticky stuff, talk some some Orioles baseball, and talk about uh, life after Major League Baseball for you. Thanks for having me, man. And so, uh, you know, th- this conversation kind of got prompted because I-, I saw you tweeting tweeting a couple weeks ago uh, when the MLB, you know, really started cracking down on uh, the the illegal substances that the pitchers were using, and you know, it's there's been somewhat of a fallout. Obviously, we've only seen one suspension so far in Major League Baseball. Hector Santiago got hit. He still says he doesn't think he was using anything wrong. And other than that, it's just been a lot of players taking their hats and gloves, and sometimes more off in between innings. Um, and and that's what we've seen so far. But I did just want to get your thoughts and, you know, if you still feel the same way you felt, you know, a a couple of weeks ago when they first started the crackdown and just uh, your general thoughts on MLB kind of going with the, the all or nothing approach, which is, you know, you're not allowed to use anything out there. And if you do, we're going to suspend you. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a tough one because I feel like um, for anyone that's not, who hasn't thrown a major league ball, 
in that type of situation is tough to really understand what a lot of the guys are maybe complaining about. Um, and, you know, for me personally, uh, through the minors with the, and a lot of people don't even know that it, you know, when I was playing at least the major league ball and the minor league ball were different. And a lot of people don't even know that. Um, and, you know, different and sometimes a good way in that the major league ball is tighter seams. It, it, it moves better for you as a pitcher if you have the right, you know, grip on the ball and then the right finish. Um, but it's also harder to control one for that reason. And also the, the leather's different. Um, the leathers are, is different. It's a little more slick. Um, it, the seams are tighter, which means they're harder to hold on to. And as a guy, as a pitcher who never used anything other than the rosin that was provided and my sweat, that was all I used in the minors. But uh, when I got to the big leagues, I started having a lot of trouble um, holding on to the ball and, and, and not necessarily like fall out of my hands way, but not going where I wanted it to go because of, a you know, if a ball slips out of your finger, even just a tad, you know, you're talking about a matter of inches on where that ball is supposed to be going, um, which my walk total went way up uh, when I when I got up there. So I was kind of learning on the fly how to use whatever I could you know, I was trying to use some rub the ball down because the, the mud on the ball is not always rubbed up the same. And if it sits there any, then it ends up just being powder. And then the rosin is powder and you're basically rubbing powder on powder. And then if anyone looked at my hands and my pants, when I played, my pants were brown. Like, I mean, I'd rub the mud off the ball and then it would just be powder and it, my pants would basically be brown. And it was it was just, a, it was a mess trying to figure that out on the fly. And it's just a tough situation. Guys are trying to do their best to control the ball. And I think using too much, like all the stuff that they're using is, is too much. That's too far. But finding out that maybe a little bit of sunscreen and rosin made your hands a little tacky, which, you know, the hitters don't even mind that just a little bit, just enough to be able to hold on to the ball. I don't think that's such a bad thing. I mean, the hitters do it with pine tar to swing the bat better. So that's that's my thing. I mean, you know, we're just trying to hold on to the ball a little better. And and from you know being in a in a big league clubhouse and and having so many different teammates in your in your four seasons, you know, you talked about how you you got to the bigs and that's when you you found you really had to incorporate the sunscreen with the rosin. Was that pretty much something across the board that that everybody you know not that everybody used it, but everybody was pretty much okay with it and and knew that most guys were at least you know mixing you know something like sunscreen with rosin and going out there to get a, a little bit of a grip it, between, you know, pitchers and hitters across the board, was it kind of accepted, uh, you know, when you were playing? Yeah, I think in a, in a way, I mean, like I said, some, some guys, some guys used a whole bunch of stuff and other guys didn't. And in some, you know, it's, it's done in a way that's just, you want to get a little bit of a feel. If it was done in a way that was anything more, I think that was a little much. Like I, I never used anything like pine tar because I honestly couldn't use anything that was too sticky. I'd throw the ball right into the ground. I, I, I just needed something that just didn't allow the ball to, to slip that little bit out of my hand, which um, still I was never able to find the right thing. Um, but it's just tough because you're out there. It's like, I just want the ball to be like I, I, I'm used to. And, you know, the, that ball was tougher for me. But a, a lot of guys obviously do really well with it. So it goes person to person and feel to feel with, with how people usually use use stuff but I mean there's a lot of other things I mean like uh, double bubble gum that was sugar-free like if you kind of use that a little bit it has the, some sort of combination that's able to give you a little bit of tack I tried a little bit of that and I couldn't really find the right combination and when I get sent down I'm like man I now I'm using a ball 
that I can actually control a little better. And that was the most frustrating thing in the world that, um, you know, obviously I had my struggles with just, you know, performing at that level, but you had that other outside factor of just using a ball that you just want to feel comfortable with. And, and I just never was able to do that. And that was just me personally, obviously a lot of guys get it done. So um, that's not really an excuse on my part. It was just frustrating for the most part. And, and I saw you share um, Peter Moylan's comments, which I think resonated with a lot of people of uh, current and former players about, you know, not just, you know, the, the crackdown, but what it can potentially do for injuries. And we know that Tyler Glass now, one of the best pitchers in the game is currently on the 60 day IL. And, and he said, you know, he thinks the crackdown and him having to go away from what he was using had to do with it. So, you know, what, what do you feel like that, you know, could do, you know, maybe would have done to you if, you know, you had, had really gotten into a groove of, of using something and had to take it away. Like, where do you think that injury component could come in for some of these guys? I mean, it, it's, I know a lot of guys that even a couple of friends of mine, I was, when I was showing that, that uh, uh, video of, of him kind of complaining about causing his injury. And, and I had to kind of think about it for a little bit, because I never actually thought of that being a factor in, in that. But the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what, that it really could, because what you have to do is you have to grip the ball harder um, and you have to grip it maybe a little wider um, in your normal, you know, fastball grip or whatever it is to, to try and control it and try and keep it in your hand that much longer. And, um, you know, by doing that, you're putting a lot of stress on, on your elbow and a lot of those muscles that go down in there. So it was something that was like, people laugh at it and they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But um, when you're dealing with, feel in your fingers and and throwing the ball 100 miles an hour or close to it i mean that's a lot of pressure and a lot of force down in there and the, and the stronger your grip is now all of a sudden you're, you're tensing all those muscles up and and it could happen now I, I, like i said i never thought of it until then but um you know he, he had a good point and and i think that he explained it really well and that's why i retweeted it and i'm just trying to you know all i was trying to do there is is a lot of people teach or they're, they're trying to make it as cheating and it's like you know guys aren't it's and yes, technically it's it wasn't allowed otherwise. But I'm thinking they provide rosin, which is a powder, and it keeps your hands dry, but it doesn't add any tack. Um, and the fact that someone found that the rosin they provide mixed with sunscreen that they also provide in the dugout had some sort of combination that was able to get guys a grip. I mean, that's that's just smart in my opinion. But um, you know, obviously people don't see it that way. And I know the hitters, if you're just using sunscreen and rosin, they, they do not care, but if you're using other stuff, which I never saw. Um, but I know, I know they said like the spider tack, I was never around that. Um, and I don't know if that would have been something I tried, but I tried a lot of stuff just trying to make sure I could get a grip on the ball to throw it where I wanted to. Um, I wasn't the guy that was going to blaze up the gun or anything like that. So I wasn't trying to get any extra miles an hour. Uh, I was just trying to be to say, Hey, I've, I've gotten this far and locating where I wanted to throw it. Uh, let me just do that. And, um, you know, I, I think there's something to it, but I think they just need to find a way that they can say, Hey, you know, maybe let's make the ball a certain way that we can, everyone can not have to use anything else. Um, but the rosin on itself is just powder on, on a powder, already powdery slick ball. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. Yeah, you're mentioning, you know, there's a, there's a distinction between, you know, ordering a can of that spider tack and you're getting something specifically for that versus you got sunscreen on, it's a hot day, guys are going to have sunscreen on anyway, you're allowed to use the rosin, that's just going to mix anyway, like on right. your arm, not even if you're intending for it to happen sometimes. And the other thing, like you were talking about the double bubble, like that's just something that's in the dugout and that's just like nice intuition from, from yeah. baseball players to I figure mean, out that that good. works. 
they should be giving the guys like a award for like <laughs> figuring it out. I mean, that's, I mean, I used to, what I ended up having to do is because I, they'd always be looking for guys touching their wrist. And I'm like, where you, a lot of guys put the, the, the rosin on their wrist for other reasons, try and keep sweat going down in their hands. And now they're trying to ban guys, you know, from putting the rosin on their wrist. It's like, well, what do you have the rosin out there for? If the rosin was so sticky and good, then why don't the hitters just use rosin? You know what I mean? Like, if it was that good of a substance that that's, that was plenty good enough for the pitchers, then then what, why do the hitters need to use pine tar? I mean, there's probably a reason, but I'm just trying to think. I'm like, hey, it's they're using that for a reason. They get a better swing if they if they have that tack. If you made them use something that, you know, something else, that it would be tough for them to swing the bat and be able to control it the way they want to. So, I know the hitters, most of the hitters, they don't they don't want guys using anything crazy. It's going to help them, you know perform make their fastball like make an average pitcher like way 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 better but you know just want a guy to have their best stuff um and you know i think that that's all that something a little tack would do it's just something else and make the balls better just the minor league balls are fine for me so i mean that that was my frustration it's like why don't they just make the same leather or whatever the difference is it's um it, it's just a tough situation but it is what it is yeah, hopefully they'll figure something out. And you would have to think because, you know, the CBA is up after this year, this is something that's going to come up um, and it's probably going to be a, a big talking point between the players and the owners. They got to figure something out um, because they probably can't have guys just, as you said, throwing powder on powder, and they probably don't want pitchers undressing in between innings um, as much as is happening um, at the moment. So we're back to our chat with Steve Johnson in just a second, but first got to tell you about Built Bar and the limited time flavor. That is the Grasshopper Cookie Bar. It's available only this week, July 6th through the 9th. You can get this brand new Built Bar flavor. What does it taste like? This is Built Bar's version of the classic Thin Mint Cookie, all the flavor without all that sugar. This Grasshopper Cookie Bar has just 150 calories, 17 grams of protein, and only 5 grams of sugar. But here's the thing. If you like the mint cookie, go for it. If not, you've got a choice. There's so many different flavors you can get from maybe mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, my personal favorite, peanut butter chocolate, and many, many more. And if you haven't decided what your favorite is yet, get a mixed box. You can go to BuiltBar.com, order a mixed box. You'll get two of each of the nine flavors. But these Built Bars are healthy. That's the great part. Most of the bars have just 130 to 180 calories. So order today. Get the grasshopper cookie or the raspberry or whatever you might like. So go to builtbar.com, use the promo code locked on, and get 15% off your order. That's promo code locked on for 15% off at builtbar.com. It was good to get the the perspective of a former big leaguer. And, and that's what else I you know wanted to talk about to have you on is of course your your career with the Orioles. And I did want to kind of ask you, you know, you you know played here in the area at St. Paul's, obviously growing up uh, around the Orioles with your dad Dave. And you know, to be drafted by the Dodgers and then to be, you know, dealt to the Orioles as a minor leaguer. I mean, did it did it provide any extra spark for you? Um, just you know, being dealt back here, you know, where the Orioles farm teams are all pretty much in the area as well. And just that, you know, did it give you any little extra drive to know, like, you know, not only am I trying to get to the big leagues, but I'm trying to get to the big leagues with my hometown team, you know, that has so many connections to, to your family as well. Yeah, it was it was um, it was definitely a good experience in, in being able to get back home and 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 um, have the opportunity to play for my hometown team. And um, I also really enjoyed my time with the Dodgers. And um, I was a little upset that the Orioles didn't draft me having been around here and being around all the scouts all the time and them knowing me pretty well. 
Um, I thought that they'd honestly have the best chance to like really know who I was as a pitcher. Um, so I was a little frustrated to be, to be honest. So I thought it was a good idea to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else, kind of out of my dad's shadow on the other side of the country and just kind of make my own name. Um, you know, that way I, people wouldn't think I was drafted because of my dad or, or anything like that. So I, I felt that it was a good opportunity and I, I obviously um, did well uh, for the, when I was with the Dodgers and, um, you know, even when I got traded over, there was the talk, obviously I got traded with Josh Bell, who was like the number three prospect for the Dodgers at the time. And, um, I'd play with him all the way up, but there was talk that I was just kind of like the throw in, um, cause of my dad. And, uh, since that's how deals work, um, for trades. Um, but you know, so that kind of lit a little, little fire, um, in me as well, because I went from kind of making a name for myself and being a top prospect, not like a top prospect, but in their, you know, top 30 list over there. And then to kind of come over and, you know, kind of have that, hear that talk again. I was like, you know what, this is, you know, one of my goal is to just kind of prove everybody wrong. Um, and that was kind of my career in, 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 in a way, because I didn't, I wasn't the hardest thrower at a slow curveball, and people look at me once and they'd be like, I don't see anything special there. And then, you know, you see me again and kind of see the strikeouts and, you kind of just were like, okay, maybe there's something here that we're not, we're not necessarily seeing. And, and uh, so I was able to actually make it and it was fun being home, but I honestly, I, I liked kind of being away and, and seeing different parts of the country. And um, you know, the Orioles are kind of all around the area. So, you know, it was really nice getting out and, and seeing different, different things out there. And, and uh, I, I enjoyed my time there, but obviously it was, it was fun being home and I was really fortunate that I ended up making it up there, which was, which was awesome. Yeah, July 15th, 2012, uh, you get your major league debut um, at Camden Yards. And then I, I do want to ask kind of a, a two-part question because, you know, you get that debut at Camden Yards, but compare the nerves to, you know, pitching in that game. I believe you pitched the, the eighth inning of that game. Uh, you know, the you guys were losing, you know, it's not like you came in for for a save in your in your first opportunity versus your next appearance which was a couple of weeks later, which became your first major league start. So kind of what were, what were the difference in the nerves between, you know, just coming onto the big league mound for the first time versus you're getting the ball, you know, at Camden yards in the top of the first inning. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I fortunately had already been up because I got called up in July, like the first July 1st and 2nd, I was up for two games. So I kind of got a little bit of a taste, but I ended up not getting in. Um, so that I think helped calm my nerves a little bit, but then when you're in the dugout or in your bull in the bullpen, and I wasn't necessarily a bullpen guy. That was that was nerve wracking in, in general as well. I, I really we signed Jamie Moyer in the minors a couple of weeks earlier, and um, they pushed me to the bullpen, and that was my first time ever in the bullpen. So I only had, and it was kind of like, hey, you're going to pitch after Britain. It wasn't like, hey, get ready. So. Um, I'd never really experienced the phone call down and then get ready. So, you know, when they called my name for when I was first called up, I mean, the, the, that, that experience was just the adrenaline rush. You know, I don't even remember warming up. I don't remember, you know, the, my heart was pounding so hard running out there when they, I don't remember them introducing me. I don't remember any of that. I feel like I could have thrown the ball through the backstop. Um, and I think I ended up walking the first two guys I faced and, was a really close to walking the third guy. And I was just like thinking to myself, I better figure it out. Otherwise I'm never going to get this opportunity again. So calm my nerves and ended up striking out the last two guys. And, and um, you know, it, it, 
calmed from there. But man, that was I was really close to walking the bases loaded in my in my debut, and that would have that would have been terrible. <laughs> but uh, the second time was way better because it was a start. I knew I was you know starting the game. Um, it just was a different. I'd already kind of been in. I experienced giving up a homer. I experienced, you know, pitching against Miguel Cabrera, experienced getting out of a jam. Um, so I was way more comfortable, comfortable in a start. So it was just, my mind was already eased. And I just remember being in the bullpen, like, this is just another, this is just another game. Um, obviously it wasn't. Uh, but then I also went and struck out the side, my, my first inning. And, you know, it was just kind of from there on, you're just, you're just competing and, they went on to score a bunch of runs for me. So it made it easier, but uh, I was definitely more comfortable that, that second time and in the start. And there was a, obviously a lot of reasons for that, but uh, that first outing gave me, gave me the confidence that I could, I could compete. Yeah. Nine punch outs, six innings in your first big league start uh, is not too shabby. And uh, you know, you ended up kind of floating in and out of different roles uh, throughout the rest of that season, but you know, you had a two one, one ERA in your, in your first big league season, which is pretty good. But I did want to ask, you know, not that you had anything to compare it to because it was your first you know, time being in the big leagues, but what was just kind of the atmosphere like with that 2012 team? Because it had, you know, turned around the fortunes of the Orioles, basically that team, you know, you're, you're forever going to be a part of the lore of the Orioles just for being on that 2012 team. And, you know, from 15 straight years of losing to, you know, doing what you guys did that year, what, you know, what was kind of the feel, especially because, you know, when you kind of came up for good was, when the, you know, division race was on there, the, the last two months of the season with the Yankees, kind of just what, what was the feel around that team knowing that you know, this was finally turning around for that whole franchise? Well, I think the interesting thing was that we had, we had just so many different players that had already been called up and, and sent down. And I think we set a record for moves and um, it was just kind of one of those things where they were, I feel like they were calling up anyone that could help them win. And um, I feel like that's not necessarily how teams do things all the time. Um, they kind of have their guys and they have their prospects. And, and I think we were really in a mode that year where one, when you're in the minors and you're watching them win and they're kind of holding on and it was kind of first to second place. And, you know, Chris Davis gets that crazy save win thing or whatever. And, and uh, they have, they're just kind of seem like they're just on a roll where if they get an extra innings, they're winning. And they kind of started gaining some confidence, obviously built from the, the year before too, um, you know, with that last game and that crazy, 2011 season, which really I think they built momentum from there. Um, but you had this feel in the minors that you're like, Hey, I, I do well, they're going to give us a shot and they're just trying to win anything and, you know, any way they can. And once you get up there and you just see the guys in the atmosphere and, and um, they prepare to win, they're not like a lot of the teams, I think in the past that just not, not that they didn't prepare to win, but they just didn't have the feeling. I don't think that they, that they could a lot of times because it just didn't happen. It didn't work out for them. And, uh, you know, they were on a really good roll where they got an extra innings. The bullpen is going to come in, shut the door until they scored. And, you know, to be able to be a part of that and also be a part of some extra inning wins. And kind of, I think I pitched in Seattle where we had 18 innings and I pitched like the 12th to 15th innings or something like that. And we won in the 18th. And it was just like, man, I wasn't part of it for the other, the other wins, but, you know, it just kind of rolls into the next guy up. Um, and I, I always, uh, I told him because I was on the, I was in the stands when we were in the last playoff game, you know, at, as in, at Oriole park and like guys that if we get, just continue to win, like the fans are, they're going to be here and it's going to be loud and, and it's going to be awesome. Um, because at the time it was like, you know, it was 
very little fans in the stands at some times. And it, it just is what it is when you lose that many seasons in a row, it's what's going to happen. But uh, they came back and it was, I just remember that uh, September game against New York um, where I think we, we got up big and then they came back and then we had like a back to back to back home run thing. And I was in the bullpen and it just got so loud and it was awesome. And like that experience just from the, the beginning of, of September was just, it was great. And I was just able to kind of pitch well down the stretch as well. And um, unfortunately it didn't work out for us in the end, but at least we, you know, we kind of made a name for us, uh, you know, for the next couple of years. Yeah. That Cal statue game, you mentioned many yep. remember that one and, and the, the extra innings in Seattle, just to be a part of the, the 18 innings um, and just the two, two games in, in one day, not a doubleheader uh, right. had to be crazy, <laughs> but you know, I, I mentioned, you know, you just being part of that 2012 team kind of puts you in the lore. Uh, another reason I think Orioles fans, you know, kind of connect when they hear Steve Johnson is I did want to ask you about the nerves of being the guy who gets up in the first inning of the first ever American League wildcard game after Joe Saunders lets the first two guys on. They pan to the bullpen and there you are warming up. And, you know, obviously Buck was ready to put you in if he had to. But, you know, I'm sure it wouldn't have been his number one plan to, to pull Joe Saunders in the first inning. So, like, where is your head at when you're up warming at that point that it, you know, all the, you're not the starter and all of a sudden in the first inning of an elimination playoff game, it might be your game. Yeah, that was um, that was a different type of nerves uh, for sure. Um, but I just remember the first couple, the couple of days before that, you know, we, Buck was really um, he didn't let us know who was starting. I know a lot of people didn't you know, they didn't know because he waited for like the last possible day. And, you know, I think it was two days before we actually were in Texas and he made us both go to the, the like little press conference thing, I think. Um, and just, I don't even, re I don't even remember. I, I just remember he just didn't tell us. And then all of a sudden he just made the decision finally um, that, that he was going to start him, but he, he brought me aside and he said, Hey, I want you ready early. And I'm thinking like, you know, things go south, maybe third inning, fourth inning or something like that. Um, just because I, I there was never really a, a one game playoff before. I mean, that was one of the, that was, I think the first year that they did yeah. it. So I wasn't really thinking all hands on deck. Like if he throws a ball, you know, get, get hot. <laughs> um, but I ended up being the case. I mean, he walked the first guy and, and uh, they called down and said, Hey, get, get hot. And I'm like, now you know it's just it was just kind of one of those things where I, I i got up so quick and i just i remember just throwing as hard as i could to the catcher without even being down just to get as loose as i possibly could and um i think i got him down i threw i don't know 25 pitches in about two minutes and uh they ended up getting out of the inning and and they you know got me down and that was just nerve wracking. It was, it was crazy. And I don't think a lot of, I don't know if a lot of people knew that I did that, but you know, I tell people, I was like, he threw, he walked the first guy and they called down. Like it wasn't a wait and see, you know, guy got on second. It was the first batter he walked and they literally called down and said, get us, get ready. And uh, you know, I, I would have loved to get in that game. Uh, it would have been a whole different kind of nerves. I would have hated to get in that game and done terribly. Um, but especially being the hometown guy, but um, I would have loved to have gotten a chance to kind of experience that type of feeling because obviously we didn't, we ended up not, I ended up not getting to the chance to get in there in the next couple of series. So, you know, it, it was one of those things that was special for me that they felt good enough to, to possibly put me in if things went south. So, um, you know, it, it was a good experience. Obviously, you know, you went on to, to pitch with the O's in 2013, 2015, ended up going to Seattle and, and, pitching for the Mariners in, uh, in 2016 as well. And, and, you know, played a, 
actually came back to the O system. I know right at, right at the end of your career, um, but did want to ask you about you know post playing career now because you know you've been kind of running this optimal baseball performance center in Maryland. So just kind of tell me about that, what kind of work you've been doing and, and what kind of you know baseball players you've been working with and helping out since you uh, retired. Yeah. One thing that was going to be tough for me at the end of my career was, was just figuring out what I wanted to do. And I always felt like I was kind of a good, um, good coach to some of the younger guys when I, when I got to be a little, little older, um, just being able to kind of experience different sides of pitching. I wasn't someone that's going to light up the gun. I kind of knew how to work batters and, um, I felt like I could help guys with, you know, the mental side of the game and, and, you know, different counts and things like that. Um, but obviously thinking about what I wanted to do, I didn't know if I wanted to coach. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to go through that whole life in the minors again, because, you know, at least as a player, you have like a kind of like a window that you either get it done or you don't as a coach, it's kind of, you're there for as long as you want to be type thing. And, and they don't have to bring up or down, uh, with any speed. So, I just figured I was kind of enjoying my time being um, being home and I wanted to kind of be home if I could. So I figured, you know, I can help the younger generation kind of get to uh, hopefully get to where I was able to get to um, and play as long as I was able to. And um, it's been great so far. I've been, I think, open for two, two years or so now. It's tough to kind of remember um, with the little break we had. Um, but uh, I opened a facility in, in December and uh, in Bel Air and, things have been great. You know, it's just been a different experience, a different, uh, you know, I was always wondering if I'd be able to fill that void that not playing baseball would leave. And, uh, you know, it doesn't quite, you know, fully fill it, but uh, being able to help the younger guys and, you know, guys like, you know, just nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds, you know, some high school guys, and I'm hoping to kind of help more pro guys as I get more established. Um, but for right now, it's just the younger guys. Hopefully I can help them get there and, and uh, being able to get text messages from, from their parents and, um, and coaches kind of saying how I helped them. And, and it's, it's, it's great to be able to kind of experience that and, and see uh, that they're liking coming here, which, which is another thing I'm just trying to make, you know, it's not fun if you're coming somewhere and, and not having a good time, you know, you want baseball, even when you're training to be fun. And that's where I'm trying to trying to make it that way and get them to understand how, uh, you know, how to get better and how to make adjustments and, and things like that. And that's, that's where, uh, you know, you might not get taught that from, from a guy that might not have been there and then that's okay. And then there's coaches that do it well and without having to play. Um, but uh, I just feel like I know some things that, that can help guys get better now and, and uh, play this game as long as they can. And, and that's the thing. A lot of guys stop playing because it's not fun anymore. And a lot of times it's not fun because they're not good enough. And uh, if I can make a guy a little bit better uh, to kind of make his career a little bit longer, then that's, that's what I'm here for. Well, Steve, it's awesome that you found that um, and, and being able to do this uh, since the end of your playing career. And, and you know, you, you got to the bigs, you had success, uh, you know, you were loved by hometown fans that, you know, you, you grew up around as well and had to have been a, a good career in that sense. But thank you so much for joining us to, you know, talk about the sticky stuff and, and talk about your career with the O's and, and what you've been doing since then. But uh, great conversation. And uh, thanks again for coming on the pod. Yeah, thank you for having me. So our thanks again to former Orioles right-handed pitcher Steve Johnson for joining us on the podcast. It was a great conversation with Steve, of course, talking about the sticky stuff. You know, definitely interesting to hear directly from a former Major League pitcher about, you know, even the difference between the AAA ball and the Major League Baseball ball. And I know they've tried to, you know, tinker with that a little bit to make them a little closer. But it's definitely interesting to hear that he, you know, never really found the right stuff that he could use. A little bit of sunscreen and rosin helped him. But, 
you know, and I think that's the opinion of a lot of guys. You know, we don't need the spider tack, but let guys use the sunscreen and rosin. So we'll see how this works out uh, for the Players Association and uh, between the owners, especially after this season. But definitely also cool to hear about his time, you know, with the Orioles. Obviously, that 2012 season was legendary. He was a big part of that team, especially in August and September down the stretch. He was kind of working in a long relief slash starting role. And, you know, he, he pitched some big innings for the Orioles that year. And again, almost came in and had to save the Orioles in the All-Star game. And a cool moment for him, obviously, with his dad, Dave Johnson, playing for the Orioles. And um, it was uh, it was cool to have Steve Johnson in the majors with the O's. And again, he did finish his career with Seattle um, and then came back actually to the Norfolk Tides in 2017 before he retired. But, um, you know, it was a solid career and a guy I think Orioles fans will always remember, not just for his family connection, which he talked about, but also, you know, the great year he had in 2012 and being a, a big part of that team, which is a, a legendary team to many Orioles fans, obviously, especially uh, around my age, which is really the first winning Orioles team that, that many fans have seen in their lifetime. But uh, transitioning it to the current Orioles, uh, they've got uh, another game tonight, trying to clinch a series against the Toronto Blue Jays after winning game one last night. Tonight is another 7.05 p.m. Eastern time start. Uh, the Orioles are going to go with Matt Harvey once again. He's been a little better uh, in his last couple starts as the 32-year-old right-hander. Uh, the ERA is still very large at 7.34 uh, on the season in 72 and a third innings. This will be his 18th start of the year for the Orioles. Uh, coming off an okay start in Houston, four and a third, two runs, four hits, three Ks, and two walks. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, two starts ago in Toronto, uh, was one of his best in a while. Five and two thirds, three runs, six hits, two Ks, one walk. He'll look to replicate that against the Blue Jays once again tonight. And the Orioles will once again see the veteran left-hander Hun Jin Ryu, uh, who will make his 17th start. He has a 3.65 ERA in 93 and two thirds innings this year. The strikeout stuff is definitely. Definitely kind of down for Ryu. His last start against Seattle, four innings, four runs, seven hits, two Ks, and two walks. He has really, really struggled recently. His changeup, which has been really his best pitch for a lot of his career, has just been gone. He hasn't really been able to use it effectively, and that has really, really hurt him. Of course, for Ryu, this will be three out of his last four starts coming against the Orioles on June 26th uh, up in Buffalo. Six and two-thirds, four runs, seven hits, three Ks, two walks. And then June 20th in Baltimore, seven innings, one run, three hits, four Ks, and a walk. So we'll see which version of Ryu the Orioles get to face tonight. And then we will be back with you tomorrow. We will recap game two of this three-game series between the Orioles and the Blue Jays. And then we got more guests coming on the pod. Eric Garfield is going to join us once again on the podcast. Uh, he covers the Orioles minor leagues over at Utah Street Report and uh, lives down there in the Sarasota area in Florida and is the utmost expert on all things what used to be called the GCL, what is now the FCL Orioles down in Florida at that complex. And uh, the two teams, the Orioles, have this year. They just started their season a couple of weeks ago, so we wanted to bring Eric on to uh, preview those rosters, which definitely have some notable names and also a lot of names you might not know, but you might need to know pretty soon in the Orioles system. So we'll talk about Kobe Mayo. He's obviously uh, the biggest name on that list, an Orioles draft pick from 2020. We'll talk about some of the 2019 draft picks who are there uh, on rehab assignment, and we will also talk about some guys you've uh, definitely never heard of, but who have started well this season. So that's all coming up on tomorrow's episode with Eric Garfield, who covers the Orioles minor leagues over at Utah Street Report. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.